of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. And welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Great to be here today after a long hiatus. It has been, uh, I think, three or four weeks since I have recorded a podcast. And I'm back doing it today. And um, this will be the last episode of a series I am doing entitled The Full Council, Benefits of Liturgy from a Free Perspective. Um, I don't remember if I said this at the beginning. I think I said it would be a six-part series, and it is actually a five-part uh, five-part series. You know, when you when you set out to do this kind of work, you you kind of have a plan, and those plans evolve over time. And it made more sense to actually do five than six, and so this will be the last one. Just to recap, what I have discussed has been benefits of liturgy in a free church tradition, which usually does not use a standard liturgy. Um, the first week, uh, the benefit that I mentioned was the benefit of living in the story of God that liturgy allows God's people to do. The second week, second episode was declaration of the full counsel of God. The third benefit is liturgy's intentionality in worship. The fourth benefit I discussed in the last episode was a greater connection to the church universal. And so uh, that brings us here to this last benefit that I want to discuss, and that is a more substantial basis. In other words, liturgy has a more substantial basis than uh, perhaps the alternatives. Um, I think a serious issue in many modern contexts of Christian worship is their often flawed basis. Rather than building upon centuries of scrutiny, trial, and error, much of what occurs in modern worship is based on external human factors. Uh, for example, personal opinion, emotion, sinker-sensitive decisions. These are extra-biblical, extra-God-focused um, bases, and so uh, worship has to have a more substantial basis than human-made devices, and liturgy is the tool that holds a more substantial basis. It is derived from the Bible, from church history, and from right theology, and liturgy has a matchless and I think unshakable basis, which free traditions should at least consider. More and more, you are seeing free traditions moving towards some sort of, at least to some degree, employment of liturgy. And liturgy is not meant to hinder worship, but to free it. And so rather than viewing liturgy as an imprisoning resource, free traditions should consider it the apparatus that frees God's people to worship in a way that honors Him and that is devoid of human-centered devices, the basis of liturgy is more substantial than the alternatives, but many churches desire less substance in the name of separation from their misunderstanding of liturgy. And so to consider the solid foundation of liturgy is to realize the vast advantage of its employment. And if this happens, even free churches discover a greater basis comprised in liturgy. The first aspect of this more substantial basis I want to discuss is the biblical basis. 
Liturgy possesses a biblical basis. Uh, the, the seeming tendency among free traditions is to assume liturgical traditions to be absent of biblical authority and shallow in scriptural underpinning. I don't know where that idea comes from, but I was raised in a free tradition, and I often looked at my liturgical brothers and sisters as sort of less than. In other words, they do not take scripture seriously. But liturgy is derived from the truth of scripture and the overwhelming connection to its stalwart support in all of life. Historic liturgies would not include weekly readings from psalms, prophets, gospels, and epistles if it were not so. And failing to realize the spawning root of liturgy and to separate themselves from the rigor of Catholicism, many free churches have reduced their worship gatherings to human opinion, man-made thought, and practices that exist to impress congregates and really to be culturally relevant. But liturgy is derived from Scripture. It is not swayed by the culture. It is derived from Scripture, and it holds an unwavering biblical basis. Liturgy is biblical in practice in that what is presented to the church is not only are not only themes developed from Scripture— but verbatim scripture itself. Consider the numerous times free churches fail to present the entirety of scripture by centering worship around cultural ideas or only speaking the sermon text aloud, and that's the only one you hear, while neglecting to recognize other important scriptures. Liturgy naturally and fully offers God's people the totality of Scripture, and if a church adheres to a historic lectionary, such as the Revised Common Lectionary, um, all of Scripture is heard and presented over a given course of time, and so nothing is omitted no matter how uncomfortable the text may seem. And since all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, as 2 Timothy 3.16 presents, it would be advantageous for believers to utilize the full canon of Scripture rather than only what seems to apply culturally at that time. And liturgical practice aids in purposely designing worship to reflect biblical authority. Liturgy also is biblical in its origin. Lectionaries were not created by one man or woman and certainly have not been void of church scrutiny. Rather, liturgy holds a biblical origin not only in the way it proclaims the story of God, but also in the way it was designed. Stemming from the text of Scripture, from his, uh, historic liturgies, they, they remove opinion and thought and instead re- return biblical truth to God's people. You don't have to be... You cannot be theologically wrong by reciting and quoting scripture. If you're quoting scripture verbatim, it's not going to be theologically wrong. Where you go wrong is when you start interpreting it and not considering the context. So liturgy offers the exact text of the Bible without interpretation since believers hold their own individual office of priest. That's a vast difference between Protestants and Catholics. Martin Luther, one of his big points was priesthood of the believer. The origin of liturgy is rooted in the Bible, its story, and its exact text. And as such, there subsists a more substantial basis in liturgy than in the usual free context of human-made and human-centered orders of worship. Liturgy also has a biblical basis in philosophy. 
The idea that liturgical traditions do not boast the same high view of the Bible as free traditions is misunderstood or blatantly ignored. Although interpretation may often lie disparate between traditions, liturgical churches hold an extremely high view of Scripture and its authority in individual lives and the life of the church. And since liturgy is grounded firmly in the Bible, liturgical worship is also grounded firmly in the Bible. The philosophy that persists among liturgical traditions is such that places Scripture at utmost importance. There is certainly not a low view of Scripture among Christians who utilize liturgy in their worship practices. Liturgy is not absent of a biblical basis, but is grounded and built upon it. And so greater than the creative ideas of human-centered worship, liturgy proves beneficial in its substantial basis, part of which is its unapologetically biblical basis. The basis upon which liturgy rests is fixed and sure, tried and true. And so rather than resort to human-made concepts to drive the worship of the local church, even free traditions can benefit from the employment of liturgy because the basis is more substantial. Liturgy also has a historical basis. Certainly, Scripture is authoritative, but the church can and should learn from history. Church history should, in fact, guide the modern church, not to confuse a high view of history with canonization of the biblical text. Believers have a lot to gain from history. Documents such as the Didache, which I have mentioned before, it's a second century document. Uh, it, these types of documents provide guidance for the church in many respects, not the least of which is procedural standards in Christian worship practice given by the early church and likely passed down from the apostles themselves. And when the Bible forms the foundation of historic liturgy, documents such as the Didache and others from early church fathers form pillars. These documents are the pillars and so liturgy holds an unbreakable historical basis from which the church can benefit. Liturgy is historic in its creation. The methods and the ways liturgy has been devised stems from the history of the church. Even in the early church, the history of God's people was considered greatly to create a proper and orderly way for Christians to worship God. Certainly the Bible is the foundational tool used to develop liturgy, which is historic in itself. But for God's people to neglect the history of the church, even outside the pages of Scripture, is to abandon the responsibility of learning from history. Liturgy accounts for the history of God's people not only in its content, but also in the way it was developed. Over the centuries of the church, the elements and practices of Christian worship were perfected and ameliorated. Trinitar uh, Trinitarian thought, for example, this seems to increase over the centuries. Tertullian was the first Latin writer to use the term Trinity, uh, but he did so in a way that is not orthodox to Christians today. Tertullian did not believe in a triune God, but in three distinct beings where the Son and Spirit were created out of, out of the spiritual matter of the Father. And this view would nearly be considered heretical in many of today's contexts. But in a second century church where Trinitarian theology was still maturing, there was likely no shortage of confusing and disparate views on subject matters that might be considered standard today. So the Trinit uh, Trinitarian concepts in liturgy developed over the centuries as well. Liturgy has not been through 
liturgy has not been through some scru- some scrutiny, but centuries of it. Not just a little bit of scrutiny, but centuries of, scru- of scrutiny, so that now it's precise and clear. And if it's in fact his, uh, precise and clear, because of the centuries of, of scrutiny it has been through, it is historic in its creation. Liturgy is also historical in its proclamation because it declares the story of God and his people. Detailed liturgy focuses not only on the story of Christ, but also what God has done in the lives of his people throughout Scripture. And so lest we forget the faithfulness of God, liturgy proclaims God's work throughout time. The stories of God's work in Israel resonate throughout liturgical practices. Free traditions cannot deny the benefit of remembering these stories because God's people today come from these stories. Liturgy proclaims the historical stories of God's work. But liturgy also has a historical use in its use of time. The Christian calendar was not created to inhibit worship, but to free it to daily living in the story of God. And the church year holds various foci on historic feasts and celebrations relevant to Christian history, not only in the life of Christ and the Christian church, but by remembering the Jewish roots of Christianity, liturgy allows God's people to connect to history in a tangible manner. God is outside of time, but he uses time for his people's advantage. In other words, he works through time. He's not bound by it, but he uses it. Liturgy considers God's use of time and incorporates it into the Christian worship gatherings. Often, free traditions seem to neglect how God has used time, or at least unintentional in using, they're unintentional in using time now. Or they base their use of time on the culture. Hallmark holidays, for example. The church calendar is a marvelous way to lead God's people in persistent worship by living in the reality of God's story throughout history. Liturgy holds a historical basis and may be valuable, I think, to the free traditions. Perhaps the lingering apprehension to retaining historic liturgy in free traditions is due to a misunderstanding of its purpose, its nature, and its basis. Retaining liturgy in the church is not for retaining Catholicism. It is, in fact, for intentional and precise methods of declaring God's story in worship. In addition to a biblical basis, liturgy also holds a historic basis that is evident and prominent in its use. For free traditions who exercise the tool of liturgy, which there are some and they are increasing, the historical basis of liturgy grants believers a unique perspective and an exceeding benefit. A liturgy also holds a theological basis. It's a more substantial theological basis than its alternatives. As liturgy is not devoid of scripture, it is also not devoid of theology. Accurate, precise, and scrutinized theology. To constitute theology, deep and convoluted uh, topics are unnecessary because theology is merely a thought about God. When a Sunday school teacher says to a child, for example, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He or she, whoever that teacher is, is executing theology. And for Christians to make the claim, uh, to claim no interest in theology, but only in Jesus 
really, even in that statement, a theological idea is submitted. Theology is vital to Christian life. And so the tools utilized in Christian worship should present a theological basis. Liturgy has this basis. Liturgy has a theological basis in its content. When a local church employs standard liturgy, a resource is used that has undergone countless revisions and processes to ensure correct theology. And so its content is derived from Scripture and core tenets of the Christian faith throughout the centuries. What's spoken, read, prayed, and even sung during the weekly worship gatherings of a liturgical context represents a broad picture of the entire story of God and theological concepts linked to such a story. A unique aspect of liturgy is its intent in the aim of worship rather than a self-seeking goal. And this is not to suggest that free traditions who don't utilize liturgy hold selfish ambitions. Liturgy, formed through centuries of church design, is clear in its purpose. Worship of the living God. Its theological content, then, is designed and aimed toward this purpose. And liturgy also possesses an ecumenical theology. In other words, liturgy's expression of faith is broad and orthodox in its scope so that all professing Christians may employ this resource and remain true to the Christian faith without deviating even from their own contextual practices. Liturgy is not solely Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Lutheran, or Presbyterian, but it is in fact Christian in the broadest sense of the term which is represented fully and faithfully by its theological ecumenicalism. That's a tough word, ecumenicalism. (laughs) Uh, Liturgy also contains theological precision, and believers need to rest assured that the theology taught and confessed during the employment of liturgy is precise and accurate, and that great lengths have been taken by those involved in its design to craft a clear message of the Christian faith. Liturgy is intentionally designed to faithfully represent Scripture and the basic tenets of Christianity. And as such, liturgy is precise and accurate. A greater risk really exists in free traditions to display a wrong or theologically incorrect message since what is presented to the body is not nearly as scrutinized and vetted as historic liturgy. Free traditions may certainly adapt liturgy to fit their context, but the precision and accuracy of theology is present in liturgy. Free traditions, I think, would benefit from the implementation of liturgy because whether realized or not, liturgy doesn't hinder worship, but it frees it from concern of theological inaccuracy and even subconscious and accidental heresies, which we've probably all seen at times. The basis of liturgy is firm and secure. Rooted in stable theology, liturgy persists in declaring the complete story of God. So my argument for liturgy here revolves around its more substantial basis, more substantial than the other options that exist. And this is not to suggest that historic liturgy is the only right way to worship God. In fact, free traditions possess right thinking and their desire to be sincere in what they offer God. And throughout this series and and the book that I will put out, I've argued that even liturgy is beneficial for free traditions in what it offers by way of modification and adaptation. And to only see the boundaries of liturgy is to only see half of the intended picture because the mode of liturgy provides an avenue for its means 
Churches should strive to worship in a way that builds upon a, a solid basis. And liturgy is certainly built upon a solid basis and frees the church to worship properly rather than flippantly. The best artists often make their art within boundaries rather than outside of them. People talk about thinking outside the box. But what I'm saying here is the boundaries are what provides the artist the necessary focus to create unique art. I'm a musician. If I sit down to compose a piece rather than than saying, oh, I'm just going to compose whatever comes to my mind if there are boundaries, and I say I'm going to compose a sonata today, or whatever the case may be. There is a specific form. There are boundaries that help me be actually more creative rather than less. So boundaries should be freeing rather than inhibiting. And upon a biblical, theological, and historical basis, liturgy allows Christians to attain the necessary boundaries for God-exalting and God-focused worship. The basis of liturgy, therefore, is solid and unshakable in that worship stems from Scripture, right theology, and church history. Free traditions can and should at least consider the precise benefits liturgy offers to all believers. I hope this has been helpful. I hope this series has been helpful. It has certainly been helpful for, uh, for me to um, solidify some of my thoughts about the benefits of liturgy. And the older I get, the more appreciative I become of liturgy. And I hope uh, this has clarified several things for you. So thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Did it, did it.